Good morning, church. Would you pray with me? God, as we come to your word, we pray that you would make it come alive again for us and for our lives. We pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and in our minds among our community, that we would hear what your spirit has to say to the church. God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We've been journeying through this strange and wonderful book of Revelation together as a church. And we've been wrestling with images that are really unfamiliar to us that were given to people in a context so far removed from our own. And as we've been wrestling with that, we've been considering how these images remain good news for us today in these times and in the places that we call home. We've heard the voice of Jesus calling out to churches, inviting them to hear what the Spirit has to say to them. We've seen images of a dragon thrown from heaven and the evil of the two great beasts of politics and religion gone awry. Last week, we considered what it means to overcome Babylon, to remain faithful in Christ in the face of so much that would draw us away. And you might consider, can remember and consider that last week, Phil shared with us that it's good news it's actually and truly good news that God judges the evil that is present in the world. That God judges Babylon, not the Babylon of Assyria, but the Babylon of Christendom and the Babylon of self-righteousness and shame and the Babylon of Canada and even the Babylon of our own hearts. It's good news that God judges these things and finds them lacking. This is a reason for praise because what it means is that God has heard the cries of his people and God has responded in judgment and action. So heaven erupts in praise. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And as all who fear him, great and small, gather close to the throne, it becomes clear that the wedding of the Lamb has come. That far from Babylon, the church has made herself clean of all the evils which comforted some and disturbed many others for far too long. The church is prepared beautifully as a bride on her wedding day. It is the act of coming out of Babylon and putting aside all that opposes God's kingdom and God's rule. That's what makes the church, this bride of Christ, clean and allows the wedding to actually happen. Babylon, though far from something to be celebrated, is the fire through which God purifies the church. And those who leave Babylon, who come out of Babylon, are made clean. The church leaves Babylon, and heaven erupts, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. We recognize not only in our words, but also in deed, that black lives matter. And angels and archangels cry out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. We confess and repent of the ways that we wielded power to enact cultural genocide against indigenous people. And all of creation sings, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. We commit to not using our wealth as instruments of power or our greed to starve our brothers and sisters. And the elders that are gathered around the throne proclaim, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Within these things, we see a glimpse of God's kingdom. 
and we're reminded of the sure promise that God does reign and his kingdom is coming. And we're not there yet. And the church that received this letter of Revelation, it wasn't there yet either. But this vision is meant to give us encouragement on that difficult road of leaving Babylon. It's meant to give us a glimpse of the thing that we're working and striving for. It's meant to supply words to name that hard work that we're doing of rooting out the racism in our lives and our systems as we fight to be better stewards of this planet, as we rid ourselves of everything that we believed from the deceiver of this world, and as we allow ourselves to be found once more in the movement of God's Spirit on earth. In this vision, the church is radiant and beautiful, wearing fine linen, bright and clean. And I love when John does this for us. John offers the exegesis in the passage. He interprets the vision while he's sharing it. I guess it's just to make sure that we're still following along. He writes, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And you might already know this, but we English readers of the Bible are at a disadvantage when we read a verse like this. Because that word righteous, it was made up for the first English translations of the Bible. And it was made up to match exactly the Greek definition of this word. And when William Tyndale made it up, people sort of got what it meant. Because it was rooted in a word that they already knew about right ways. But over the years, we've forgotten what righteousness means, and we think that maybe it just means holiness. It doesn't, though. And so this is another way that we benefit from having a multilingual church, because as Spanish and Portuguese readers of the Bible will tell us, and I'm sure this is obvious in many other languages as well, this word actually means justice. John says that the fine linen that the church is dressed in represents the just actions of God's holy people. When the church is dressed and ready for that future wedding of the Lamb, the church will be enrobed in actions of justice. The church will be clean not only because it didn't participate in the evils of the world, but it will actually be clean because it actively behaved in the ways of justice. It should be no wonder then that the angel says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. This wedding supper of the Lamb is the time and the place where people who cling to justice, who live it out, who love it so much that they're clothed in it, come face to face with the one who is faithful and true. Blessed are those who are invited to that wedding because it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be the kind of wedding that nobody wants to leave, where everybody feels welcome and loved and like they belong and like the party will never stop. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Indeed, these are the true words of God. As the angel said this and as John records these words for the church, they should be ringing bells in our minds. Blessed are those who are invited. Didn't Jesus say some blesseds once? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these are the people who are blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted because of justice. 
I think we'll find that this blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb is not a new set of the blessed. Rather, it's the same one. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb because they are the poor. They are the mourning. They are the very ones who long for justice as well as those who suffer in the cause of justice. Because it's at this wedding supper that they'll find their fill of justice at last when the bride is clothed in righteousness and the groom is called faithful and true. And maybe you're not sure that I'm right about this. Maybe you're not seeing all the connections there. But I think Jesus makes it crystal clear in a parable that he tells, and it's about a wedding feast too. And I'm sure that parable of Jesus of the great feast is meant to spring to our minds as we read this passage as well. Jesus tells this story of a certain king who prepared a marriage feast for his son. And when his servant goes to collect the invited guests, they're not interested in coming. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, they're too busy participating in the ways of Babylon, in abusing their power, in selling their merchandise, in mistreating servants. But they don't want to come. So who comes? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? The very people who have longed for justice the most. These are the ones who will also most enjoy what the feast has to offer. The ones who could have participated in acts of justice but chose to go another way? Well, of course the consummation of justice is of no interest to them. They're not coming because justice feels like bad news when injustice has brought them this far. In this vision, this wedding feast, it's come. And so far we've seen the bride clothed in justice, bright and clean. Then... We get to see the groom as heaven opens and a rider on a white horse is called faithful and true who judges with justice and wages war with justice. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and on his robe and on his thigh is written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Some of this description is meant to remind us of John's vision of Jesus way back in chapter 1. It's meant to close that loop on what's been happening in the story so far. And if you didn't get to hear that sermon about Revelation 1, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because Phil really unpacked this image for us. Today, I think there are two things that are really important for us to notice in this description of Jesus. The first is his robes. Since the clothing of the church was such a focal point for John, the way that Jesus' clothing is described should also draw our attention. He's in the same kind of robe that the church is wearing, the same kind of robe that the armies of heaven are wearing, but his is dipped in blood. The fine linen stands for acts of justice, and Jesus' fine linen robe is dipped in blood as a reminder of the greatest action of justice and mercy ever, his sacrifice for our sakes. Jesus, he mingles justice and mercy together, and he has the authority to enact justice because he endured such injustice in his flesh 
for the sake of this very day that we're beginning to see coming in this text. That there would be a day when God and God's people could dwell closely together. And the second thing that we must notice is the sword coming from his mouth, which is to strike down the nations. And there are layers of images here, but in its simplest form, we are being reminded again and again that Jesus is the word of God. In verse 13, it says that that's his name. And then in verse 15, it focuses on his mouth. And from his mouth comes a sword. And the word of God is frequently depicted as a sword throughout scripture. Jesus, it's telling us, is the word which speaks the true word. We might remember that in Genesis 1, at creation, God speaks. God's word goes forth and creation begins. Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis has this idea that there was something, formless and void, God's spirit hovering over the deep. That there was chaos, and God spoke into that chaos and created order. This is the beginning of the world. So what of the end? What of the end of the world as we know it? Well, the world as we know it seems to be chaos again. Wars and rumors of wars. Injustice, famine, hardship, danger, trials, persecution, prejudice, evil on evil. There is chaos in the waters again. Creation is tending back toward formless and void. And the word of God speaks into this world. Into the world of uncreation, the creating God speaks and recreation begins. Let me say that again. Into the world of uncreation, the creating God speaks and recreation begins. When Jesus speaks and the sword of his mouth strikes, Justice is snatched from the jaws of injustice. When the word of God breaks out, hope bubbles up from despair. Goodness blooms in a time of great trouble. Light bursts from darkness. When we think about the end, when we hear the word apocalypse, we fear doom. But the end of this thing is for the good of those who love justice. Because there's a better thing that's yet to come. And this apocalypse, this is the revelation of the world that is to come. And even as God spoke creation into being, so it seems that Jesus speaks recreation as we participate in the preparation for that good work, clothing ourselves in acts of justice, remembering the mercy of the Lamb who is faithful and true. Friends, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Hear this invitation today. These are the true words of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.